Hello and welcome to an unexpected podcast. My name is Tim. With me as always, we have Matt and Devin. And joining us on this week's episode hey is Devin. Unfortunately, Mick and Rainier couldn't be with us this week. On this week's episode, we're going to go over a list from Nathan Fee. And we're going to be going over the scenario destroy the supplies. But we're going to go over the list first, so I will move that over to Evan. Okay, so it looks like we've got a last alliance list going for us. 700 points. So in Warband 1, there's a Sildor with heavy armor, horse, shield, and the ring. Then there's a Warrior of Numenor with a shield, spear, and banner. Six Warriors of Numenor with shields. And six Warriors of Numenor with shield and spear. And then there's a Captain of Numenor with bow and heavy armor. And in his warband is <clears throat> five warriors with bows. And then we move on to the uh, Rivendell contingent. <clears throat> and in there we have a High Elf Captain. He's got uh, heavy armor, shield, lance, horse, <clears throat> and he's got three Rivendell Knights with him. And then in the final warband, there's Kirdan, and he's got three warriors with shields and three warriors with shields and spears. And if I'm doing my math correctly, it looks like there's 31 models in this list with uh, eight bows, uh, sorry, nine bows, Ten bows, because the captain has a bow, both captains have a bow, and then there's five Numenorians and three Rivendell Knights. And all in all, uh, this looks like a pretty solid list. It's a basic sort of, not cookie cutter, because Numenor can be run in many ways, but it's one of the ways to run Numenor. Um, there's a couple stuff, a couple things that stand out to me immediately. First one being uh, Captain of Numenor. One, has a bow, which probably isn't your best option. And two, doesn't have a horse and doesn't have a lance. And if you're going to take your uh, Captain of Numenor and you want him to basically do anything except be a support model, then you're going to need to, one, take him on horse, and two, give him a lance. Increases his hitting power by a lot, gives you another hero, um, to do what you want to do. And then, I mean, everything else, uh, I can only really suggest uh, minor changes. Uh, personally, I don't think the elf bow on the high elf captain is the best investment of points, especially seeing as you've already sort of tailored him to be more of a hitting piece. Um, I think you can probably... Uh, if you want to, you can throw in another warrior of Numenor with bow, drop one of the shield guys, and turn them into a bowman. Uh, I would personally put the banner on a high elf instead. The reason being is the high elf's defense is better. Your high elves are probably going to be supporting your Numenorians. Um, but obviously you can switch it up depending on what you want to do. Um, let's see here. And another thing I might consider is because obviously you're going to be some spending, spending some extra points to uh, put the Captain of Numenor on horse. I'm not sure how useful the shield with the Sildor is. Uh, he is your leader, so it would be nice to give him defense eight. But because he's a decent defensive hero and he's got the ring, so he's going to be very hard to charge and very hard to beat in a fight. Uh, I think the five points might be better spent elsewhere. Um, other than that, all I can really suggest are this is one of the many ways to build a uh, last alliance list. And, I mean, other than that, this is perfectly fine. I actually ended up commenting on this post, uh, and uh, I forgot specifically what I said, but I do applaud the fact that you have gone away from the usual, what I would actually call a cookie cutter um, 
uh, last alliance list is usually Gilgalad or Glorfindel with uh, Elendil. And I'm sure many people are really wanting us to tell you to bring Elendil. Uh, luckily, Mick's not here today. So we get to <laughs> <laughs> let you know that a Sealdor is fine. Uh, I personally like uh, a Sealdor with a shield. I think that even just having the defense eight, I mean, yeah, I do agree with Evan that defense seven is perfectly fine. However, I'm not really seeing anything for five points that really screams at me other than yes, you'd absolutely need a horse on that captain. Uh, I agree with Evan completely there. And also I don't think him having a bow is doing you much good at either. Uh, so you could subtract the five and then subtract the shield if you want to. I personally am of like, I'm thinking that it would be fine for you to give up a warrior somewhere uh, to get it. But I mean, Maybe, a, I mean, a Riven, you could give up a Rivendell Knight and get... Actually, yeah. Yeah, or change a Rivendell Knight to a guy on foot. And then there um, you go. Yep. And, and, and actually, that I, great point, because I actually was going to mention getting rid of a Rivendell Knight and then kind of distributing spears. One thing I've actually noticed in this last alliance type list is that um, you, you can swap who you want in the front and the back based on if you're fighting a strength four or strength three army, or uh, essentially a strength three army, you probably be fine to have the high elves in front because of the defense six space and then a strength four army you can put the numenorians in front because well they're wounding on fives either way um this obviously changes up depending on if you need the strength four and other little variables but i have seen, seen people mix it up a lot which is why i think it's okay if like everyone got spears um and and shields of, of course you know not shields on your bows if you don't want to um, other than that, though, I mean, that was pretty much the main things I had. I know that the list lacks uh, a lot of hitting power, so which is why definitely getting the captains mounted is going to be huge. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, I tried to reconfigure the list to have Glorfindel in it. Um, so I think a high elf captain, uh, you have him at 166 points. I think Glorfindel mounted up is 165. Well, no, so that includes the whole warband. Oh, never mind, never mind. But, okay. But um, let me jump in here for a second with my thought, because I, I, mm. I mean, I was also thinking Glorfindel. <clears throat> and I think if – I'm not sure this list needs two captains. I think it needs one. I'm not sure it needs two. I agree with that. Um, and I'm also not certain you need Kirdan in this list. Um, he certainly gives you some stuff, but if you wanted to forgo Kirdan, Kirdan and the High Elf Captain, if you buy them, if you um, get rid of both of them, you end up being able to buy Glorfindel and have 10 points left over to put the Captain of Numenor on a horse. Um, Glorfindel's got plenty of slots to put all those figures, to, all those elves together. Um, and you and at that point you could give the captain of Numenor not only a horse but a lance uh which i think you also want um and i mean that's a different way to configure the list and that gives you two really tough magic resistant hitting heroes um and that's a yeah that's a different way to kind of construct this list to give it more punch at the essentially at the expense of blinding light um, lining light and potentially the aura of dismay that you get from uh, Kiran, which I'm not certain this list really. Needs. Well, aura of dismay, technically, no list needs it. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I just wonder with the with the low amount of numbers, if or if this may would just be like a huge adding point to this list. And and that's where like it gets interesting because we actually have a player in our community who loves the last lines and has said that Kirden was essential. This was before the nerf, but um, I mean, yeah, I, he he's not essential. He's useful, but I mean, to a certain extent, the last alliance list. And the Numenor list, I mean, they're all about the heroes anyway. And the rest of the guys are there just to kind of kill an occasional guy and continue to exist long enough for your heroes to win the game. Um, and, you know, that's why I'm saying sacrificing Kirdan to get Glorfindel, I think, um, may be worth it. And this is where I'd actually, I'd really, yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, if you don't have another hard hitter in the list, every last alliance list I've seen has two hard hitters, and generally it's Elendil and Glorfindel. 
uh, not Glorfindel, Gilgalad, which means you have two extremely powerful hitters. And now you're playing a list where you've reduced it down to a sealed door, which is not bad. Um, he just may have to get off horse to really deal with enemy leaders. But um, otherwise, your list is totally reliant on using your troops to beat the enemy. And that's just not how a last alliance list really functions, or at least not from my experience with it. Um, I mean, not that it can't. You have fight five basically with strength four when combine them up. But um, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to figure out. I, I mean, it does work, um, and I mean, it can it can kill a bunch of stuff. But it's, I mean, oftentimes just because you have kind of a small number of figures, you're going to be sending your, you know, you're going to be sending your guys in against a against two people. And the, unfortunately, you know, the only downside of the, of the, the warriors of Numenor, which are the squishy defense five. Yeah. Um, and if they lose a fight, they will go down, um, which is, which is a bit of a problem, but yeah, which is why you typically are sending in these, these terrifying uh, leaders um, to kind of hack through stuff and, everybody else just kind of covers the flanks of the, the mounted leaders. Um, and Isildur, by the way, I think is perfectly fine um, going in mounted un- unless he's going to kind of go and start taking down the, the really top tier guys, the, the Boromirs, the Aragorns, and that's when he wants to put on the ring. And, oh, yeah, something I guess to mention about Isildur is you have to really think about when you put on the ring because not only do you have to get off your horse but you you then surrender control of Isildur one third of the time, and you know at, at that point he can kind of become a loose cannon and kind of go off into space. He can might that role, right? No, he cannot might that role. Okay. Cannot might that role. Um, so uh, you know that that's that's you know basically you're going to keep Isildur on the horse, which is I think why the shield is valuable. You're going to keep Isildur on the horse for as long as you can. Uh, and then, you know, kind of once he's unhorsed or once he gets into the position when he can do his sneaky, I'm now going to run through the lines. Uh, you know, I'm going to dismount, put on the ring, run through the lines and get behind the key leader, trap him and kill him. Um, you know, that's, that's the point when, when he puts on the ring. But it's not like you're going to be playing the whole game with Isildur with the ring on. Um, so I think that the shield still has value. I guess the other point I'd make is to the extent that you can, give as many bows as you can to the elves. I think at this point you've done this, but you know maybe um, if you dropped a Rivendell Knight and um, you can give a few extra bows. And the, the reason for that is you still get the army bonus here with the elves. So if, if you're a stationary elf um, and you're within six inches of, I guess it's going to, well, it's going to be Isildur in this list. If you add in Glorfindel, it could be Glorfindel instead. As long as you're within six inches of, uh, of the army leader, you get to re-roll your two-hit rolls, which the, the Numenorians can't. Right, well, let, me, let me ask you this real quick. With, with this list, I know that um, it's always good to have Cav, but with with the low numbers, is it worth not just getting rid of all three knights to you guys, or is it worth? I don't know. I get rid of all three. Um, that's a lot of points you could use towards more troops. I'd yeah. say two. I I think would probably be best. One is okay. Two is probably just the right amount, just so you can you can have more than one random guy running around. Because the thing with the cavalry is you're not using them to hit things super hard. You're more using them to grab objectives and do stuff that your normal dudes on foot wouldn't be able to do. Um, another thing I've noticed in this list is that the Warriors of Numenor to High Elf concentration is a little bit off because normally what you're going to want is you're going to want a 50-50 split. So your High Elves and your Warriors of Numenor can work together, give the strength four and the fight five in all of the fights. Um, but what's happening here is there's... Uh, 18 warriors of Numenor and roughly uh, only six high elf warriors on foot. So what's going to end up happening is you're going to have like six combats where you're going to get that synergy. And then the rest of your army is going to be 
defense five, fight four. And while they do get the strength four, I think uh, more high elves are necessary. Uh, in I order actually to make this didn't even notice that list. at first, just because well, of the format, the way this thing is all laid out. I yeah. actually did not notice that. Well, so I yeah, just, that's a huge point. I think the problem with that, though, is that I think he's doing that to get as many numbers as possible. Because if you start to do that split, then you start to hit the 27, 28 models on the list army at 700 points. And that's not to say that you know his heroes aren't... But it, it's a really low number at 700 points for... And I think he's trying to get as many warriors as possible is why he did that. I think, you can, I think you can get away with having a lower number of high elves. Every one of them should have a spear, either a spear and a shield or a spear and a bow. Um, because they're the ones, you know, basically your warriors of Numenor are your front line. And then these high elves kind of run around behind um, giving you a uh, fight five when you need it. Yeah, honestly, as I'm kind of restructuring this in my head, I'm actually kind of okay with if you really want to keep Kyrdom due to your low numbers and all that, you could actually just take out both the Captain of Numenor and the Rivendell Captain and then uh, slot two Numenorians over to Sildor and then take Glorfindel. You'll actually save points and then you'll be able to slot in more High Elves into his Warband where the Rivendell Knights are, even especially if you take one Rivendell now out. Yeah, I'm, I'm reluctant. I'm reluctant to take this list without a march. Although I suppose with Ki- with Kirdan's blinding light, it's less of an issue. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was kind of thinking about. It. He's small, and uh, I think he can ball up pretty easily. And I'm like, he can get more elves because, like, a high elf captain. I don't know what the points are, but the high elf captain, and Numenor captain, uh, kitted out the way they are, probably about ninety points each. Um, yeah. high elf is, uh, Numenor high elf captain is, should be 75 to 80 High elf captain should be around 100 So yeah, they average out to about 90 points each-ish yeah. Which means you'd save 15 points with Glorfindel I think he's 165 fully kitted And then, um, uh, you know, and obviously Tim can reference all this But like after you take a Rivendell Knight out you, you, You're bringing in three more L's Potentially I mean, mm-hmm. it depends on how the math's working out. But then you have Kyrdan, Isildur, and, uh, you know, Glorfindel, two hard hitters. You have more L's for spear supports, a few more anyway, but that's honestly, you still need a few more. Kyrdan kind of protects you from needing the march. March is great for last game and play, but to be honest, the way your list is structured anyway, even if you mount the Captain of Numenor and try to, you know, run him in there, you're going to probably be tempted to do her at combats and such to whittle down numbers, which means I don't think in the late game you're going to have any might for March anyway. Um, you're going to want to charge and all that for her moves. So I think you're foregoing that regardless. And then you can get a stronger hero in here who can actually do a little bit more damage. You're not really net losing much might, just one. Um, and then, yeah, Kyrdan protects your army in multiple different areas well let's not short sell that captain of numenor i mean when you put him on a horse and give him a lance um, no i think he's good i just think you're going to be spending his might to kill things and so you're not going to have the late game march what what i was saying is march is usually used for two purposes one to get up there because you're getting shot at which kirden protects you from and then two late game plays where you need the extra movement to get into position or onto an objective I don't think he's going to have the late game play because he's so busy using his captain of Numenor to just crush through things. Mm. That's, uh, that's what I'm thinking. So the, the, the captain of Numenor he has right now is 60 points. Um, and the high elf captain that he has is a hundred. Yeah. So, so it's a hundred Yeah. So 80 yeah. points a piece on average. So I forgot how much Glorfindel is with his, with his armor. Uh, 170 with the horse. Yeah. All right, yeah, that might be a little costly. Yeah. Um, Maybe the twins? <laughs> no, the, the twins are, are even more expensive. Base. They're 160 yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's two ways you can really do this list. Uh, I agree with the idea that I don't think two captains are necessary in this list. One is fine. Um. And there's either Devin's way, which is... Well, you can't even really do it based on points. You can kind of do it. Uh, It's going to be a little small, but you can take Glorfindel. And, I mean, remember with these numbers, if you're dropping a Sildor and taking a Lendil and taking an 800-point list, then the numbers are going to be very similar and you're going to be 100 points up. So the list functions... The list functions fine with the low numbers. And I think taking Isildur and Glorfindel together 
with Kirdan isn't a bad option. Another way to do this is it appears what, what they're trying to do here is to get more of the focus on the warriors. And if that's what you want to do, drop the captain of Numenor and just hoard out on as many guys as you can. And I think I've made this list before. It's around 40 models uh, if you drop the captain of Numenor and you get some extra guys. So it gets a lot bigger, maybe a little less than 40 models now that I think about it, but it's around there, and it's now larger than the average 700-point list, and you've still got a high elf captain on horse with lance and shield who can do some hitting because fight six is still very good. But drop the bow. Uh, Well, yes, drop the bow. Don't take the bow. It gives you some extra points. Um, And you've also got... Uh, Isildur, who can work as your sort of anti-hero mechanism. And then you have this big army with Fight 5 and Strength 4 and all of the buffs from Kyrdan. And while I wouldn't say it's as, you know, go up and crush a list type of play style like the Glorfindel and Isildur one, but it's still an effective way to make uh, this list. Okay. Yeah, uh, I guess if you did the Glorfindel way, you'd have to still shrink a Rivenon captain, but you'd lose a guy just to get him in, and it'd just be too tough. I mean, you'd, you could do a Matt's way where you take Kyrdan out. I'm pretty hesitant to do that, but you still have March, so... You have March, and you end up with eight might, which, I mean, as it... No, as it's not bad. As, yeah. as it's currently structured... It's the same might, same amount. Yeah, this has, a, this has the same might, but as we were discussing restructuring it, the might was getting down pretty low. Um, but anyway. All right. Uh, number of think- different ways to do this. Yeah, <laughs> number yeah, different ways to skin this guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we'd all probably just agree on at least a minimum taking the bow away from the captain anymore, mounting him and giving him a lance. If yeah, you're going to change yeah. it in the most minor way and then probably reduce a Rivendell Knight down to two two warriors of uh, with spears. Yeah, and improve your concentration of Numenorians versus High Elves because you want more uh, High Elves of Spears in there. I just feel bad because if we, if we advise this, his uh, Rivendell Knights, if we take them away, not only is he losing two bows, but we've just turned his mobile contingent, like in Maelstrom, into one that's now weighted by two <laughs> random High Elves. So. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, uh, a mobile contingent in this sort of list. Uh, I've never really seen be particularly useful. I guess in Maelstrom it could be useful, but um, if you're playing an average yeah. game, though, let's say against a friend or or in a tournament, though, you, you have to plan for all the scenarios. So while, like, yeah. even though it'll be useful in Maelstrom, you got to be prepared for every scenario. Yeah, and you probably you you need to do some restructuring in this list, and I don't think the mobile contingent is worth keeping. Uh, even though uh, your captain's uh, not on a horse and all that stuff like that. So changes so need uh, to be made, basically. So I guess we can just leave him off with saying what we do agree on is he has a lack of hitting power due to the fact that the captain of Numenorian isn't doing anything, and Kyrdin's not doing anything. So he has only two heroes, one being a captain that can do any hitting power. He has a lack of high of spears to confer the fight five. It's not enough. He's basically relying on Numenor, which means he's squishy at those you know, at his numbers um, and uh, probably not winning as many fights as he honestly wanted to. And uh, does he even have a banner? No. He yeah, so does. He has a Numenorian with banner. Yeah, there's a Numenorian. Oh, there's the I, think, okay. I think I recommended so, um, in the beginning that you should that probably an put that yeah. on an elf yeah, because yeah. it's defense yeah. six. Yeah. They're more likely to be spear supporting. So, yeah, basically this list will probably fall apart faster than you would want it to in competitive play. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for your list, Nathan. Uh, let us know in the comment section if you agree or if you have any ideas of what we said. And anybody else, leave their comment section uh, about their list as well. We'll go try to look over them for next week. Uh, we're going to move on to the main topic for today, which is the scenario, so destroy the supplies. So I'm just going to go over the scenario real quick. Uh, basically, you have uh, deployment up to 12 inches on your side. And there's going to be three objectives on your side up to on the 12-inch line. So there's going to be one directly in the middle on the 24-inch point, and then two objectives 12 inches on either side. Uh, and basically, the game lasts until a quarter percent, um, which of course is the remaining. You get two victory points for each enemy supply marker that has been destroyed. 
one for kill, uh, causing a wound on the leader, two for killing. You get one for breaking, two if you're unbroken. You get one for having a banner, two if you have a banner and they don't. Uh, and then the special rule is supply markers. The objective markers represent a series of supplies in both sides that are trying to destroy. To destroy an enemy, enemy supply marker, a model must be in base contact with a marker during the end phase of a turn, having not cast any magical powers, used a missile weapon, been involved in a fight, or been under the effects of the paralyze, immobilize, or transfix magical power during that turn. Once a supply marker has been destroyed, remove it. So pretty much there's three objectives on each side. You're trying to get to them, stand there while not doing anything, pick them up, and then kill and break. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this scenario? All right. So I guess um, the, just to refresher, you destroy the objective by spending a full turn not doing anything, or just if you're standing next to it at the end of the turn? I missed that. Uh, standing it's, next to it at the end of the turn, having yes. basically not done a fight anything or just, else but move. Yes. So you can, okay, you can move up to it and destroy it. Can't so there, shoot. Yeah. Can't shoot, cast, can't cast magic, can't be so, in a fight. automatically, you can't use her a combat to get to them. Um, so, therefore, it's just whatever's done before the combat phase. This is a really janky scenario where you, if you have certain models like a spider queen or flyers or uh, yeah. wizards who can move stuff off, you can really do some nasty stuff if you move second. Um, and maybe even if you move first, but most often if you move second. And so... Uh, that's one thing that immediately screams out to me is that you really have to plan like kind of a turn ahead to, to make sure that they don't like pull off some shenanigan and get one model standing on the thing to destroy it. Um, with the 25% condition thing, you can also, as my usual thoughts, you can always just focus on completely eliminating the enemy. Um, the only problem is if you do that, I think in this scenario in particular, so normally when I give that advice, the objective always is there by the end of the game. But in this case, your opponent could just go and destroy it if you're not focused on protecting them. So that advice doesn't work as much on this scenario, which I like. You still will have to protect your objectives. Otherwise, you can give up the game destroying your opponent. Um, so those are two immediate thoughts off of that. I don't know if Evan had any you, you've mentioned. Um, well, I guess my... I, I have similar thoughts to you about sort of the way the scenario works because when the when you get the objectives, the objectives are gone. You always have those points and there's no way your opponent can deal with it. This is a sort of scenario where you have to be extremely careful because you can just lose the game immediately. Like if, you're, if your opponent has flying models, if they have a spider queen if they have a wizard with compel or anything like goblin that. Goblin mercenaries. That's another one that'll really... That is also true. Goblin <laughs> mercenaries, goblin scribe, anything like that. Oh my god, the um, scribe would be disgusting in this mission. So... Yeah, uh, it's, it's very tough to deal with. And when you have like a very sedentary army, I guess I'd say, you need to be extremely careful around the objectives. Um, sometimes it's best to even sacrifice, just move away from one objective and say, okay, my opponent is going to grab that objective and then guard two objectives and then just go for the leader kill and the break to win. Are there banner points in this scenario? There are. Yes. Yes. One for okay. having one, two for so having this, one. This works especially if you have a banner because each objective is two points, correct? Yes. So if you have a banner and your opponent doesn't, you can sacrifice an objective and not be auto-losing the game, and that allows you to consolidate your forces onto two objectives and make it much, much easier to defend them. Though I would not recommend doing this strategy unless you are vastly outnumbered, vastly outmaneuvered, or anything like that, because it's very easy for them to go and just about grab one of your two objectives that you're trying to guard and then you've basically lost the game and there's nothing you can do. So if this is a very uh, strategy, this is a strategy where you need to be very careful. So just recounting it, you get uh, two per objective you destroyed, right? Yep. yep. Yes. And then um, two for having a banner alive and the opponent doesn't have one. Yep. yep. 
you get uh, two for China. breaking without being unbroken, and, and you get two for killing the enemy general. Okay. Yeah. So, so you really you have to yet you do have to kind of sit and do the math of um, you know how am I going to get my my points in this and you have to kind of divide your thoughts between defending your own objectives and attacking the other one. And the objectives are fairly dispersed as well. They're 12 inches apart. So you all, and I mean, as, as Devin pointed out with just one guy that kind of runs in and touches one of these objectives is enough to destroy it. So you really need to have like a little, if you want to protect an objective, you really need to have like a contingent of guys that surround it. Yeah. Um, so that somebody can't penetrate that. It's not quite as scary as it could be because as you also pointed out, Devin, you can't heroic combat into these things. You can't barge into these things. So as long as you've got your kind of little contingent of guys surrounding one of these objectives, it is going to be safe. Um, at, you know, even if like the spider queen comes running up and running into one of the guys, the spider queen is not going to be able to kill that turn. As long as you have somebody who can like keep running into the spider queen to tie her up in a fight. I think what he was the saying broodlings. was with the broodlings. Well, with the broodlings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, Cause they're, you can just they're ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Oh, can the broodlings be moved. done? Can the broodlings be done in heroic combat? No, but they, they what, no. What, you, what I'm saying is, is let's say that your opponent feels particularly safe only keeps a couple guys back. Well, all you have to do is if you move second, you pop up a broodling and move to the and one run around those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have 10 inch movement. Yeah. So you have to pop like, them all at once or can you do one? At you can pop them all at once. You can do all at once. You can do one at a time. Yeah. yeah. I've done this in a game uh, with a local player where I played this scenario uh, just once with him, but I had a spider queen cause we were just trying to figure out how to game the scenario and that, that the, the spider queen is just gross in this scenario. It forces you to have to play all three objectives super defensively or just do what Evan said and, and just admit that you're going to sacrifice one of them because at any point in time, she can threaten the objective. And if you think about it, she moves 10 inches. Then she deploys them three, six inches, three or six. Three inches, three inches. And their base and they doesn't have 10. to be fully within. Yeah, so, so then they have an extra up, two yeah. with their base size. And then, so that's now five inches effective you know, distance, and then now they move 10. They, mm -hmm. And they move over anything. They, yes. they threat, the Spider Queen at any point in time is always threatening your objectives, which means your force is dispersed. So she could opt to just ignore the fact that your objectives are totally covered, and then they think you can just start crushing your army. Yep. Spider Queen itself is very disgusting. So in any case, if you want to defend an objective, I think against any type of high mobility um, uh, army and there's a, there's a number of different ways you can kind of scroll your way in here. You really want to have, um, at, you know, you, you need to have the objective surrounded with guys and even, and even then you may even have to layer it. If there's a wizard running around that can like pull out the, the guy, yeah, the critical guy or get yeah. enough guys around it so that you got overlapping zones of control. So even if one guy's pulled out, the other two zones of control will stop somebody from sneaking in. Basically, if your opponent has anything that can move your stuff or, you know, can easily deploy around, I mean, you may have to strongly consider sacrificing an objective in order to play this attack defense game while at the same time knowing you have enough guys who can stop, like, these little janky maneuvers. Because otherwise, you're just going to be so spread thin. Um, it, like, because, I mean, you think about it, like, if you're covering all three objectives and you got to do what Matt said, which is you're, you're have a contingent of guys, so like six, and then you're also trying to attack your opponent's objectives. And yeah, you can only use one. You may only have to use one. But if they're doing kind of similar stuff, you're going to have to send more to take them out. I mean, you are going to be really spread thin. And if you're an all-hero army, you're just giving up the objectives. Can you even do yeah. it? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how you play um, this one with all. Well, I guess, I guess you'd have to do it this way, right? Um, I think probably with an all-hero army, what I think you have to do is kind of go all in hmm. and say... Uh, I'm going to kill his army. I'm going to destroy his objectives. Um, and let him destroy yours. And let let him send yeah. some random guys off to destroy it. I mean, the problem is because you need because you can only destroy an objective with a guy that hasn't fought. That's really hard to do with an all hero army because you yeah. you don't have like that spare random guy who can run in and destroy the supplies. But you have a lot of time because it's 25% ending condition. So if you say sacrifice... If you're not in a tournament. <laughs> no, that's true. 
Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, your turns will go pretty quick. <laughs> but you, yeah. I'm, oh. I'm just thinking about it. if you sacrifice all three of your objectives, give them the six points. You take out theirs. Hopefully, you can do it. Like you're basically have to bet on that. You take out theirs. You get the six points. You have to rely on breaking and killing the enemy general. Yeah. And remember, just often that. all hero armies don't have a banner, and yeah. um. The infantry armies, or basically any army you're facing, will probably have a banner. So you're already starting two points down, and they can just sit there and sit there on their objectives and stare at you, knowing that they're going to win the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's. I mean, I, what I like about the scenario though is that there are four different conditions in which you can get two points, and then obviously there's three objectives. So pretty much everything you do is almost equivalent. So you can kind of decide what you want to do and it'll be worth about the same amount of points obviously the objectives are guaranteed two points whereas other things are you know one point or two points but i kind of like how it makes it so if you just wanted to let's say you knew you couldn't get the uh the objectives let's say well then if you can just not allow you know getting a wound a wound on your leader or um being broken or having the banner effect, right? Well, there's six points right there, and then you can kind of make up for that. And I just like how everything's kind of even in this kind of scenario, points-wise. Prepare to tie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this and Fog of War, anything where you can oh. accomplish all your objectives. Well, don't forget Storm the Camp. You always tie in that one. There unless you go. somebody gets the break. No one did anything. <laughs> so. I, I mean, I'm not... I'm not 100% convinced this is one where you're going to tie a lot. I mean, I think the point that Tim was saying, so this is a scenario where you get penalized for, you get penalized for bad strategy. Um, and and I'm, I'm talking strategy here instead of tactics. You know, the tactics of, I'm thinking of tactics in the sense of, you know, where, you know, when do I call the, the heroic move or heroic uh, combat or something like that? This is a game where you actually have to think about where am I going to commit my troops on the battlefield to get the most points? Because there's three different things you can do. You can use your troops to protect your own objectives. You can use your troops to go after the other guy's objectives, or you could use your troops to try and kill the other guy's army. And you have to make allocation there between those three ways to win the game. Um, and because you could win the game, you, know, you could win or lose the game by screwing up any one of those three things. So it really is, you know, it, it's resource management at the strategic level scale. It's not resource management in the sense of, um, you know, how am I going to use my might points? It's resource management in how am I going to allocate my troops in order to get these three conflicting objectives done? And the person who can do that most efficiently is going to win this scenario. Mm -hmm. what, what you're going to notice with this scenario is usually if people know how to play this scenario, um, there will be two separate roles that each side plays. One side will play the role of the attacker, and one side will play the role of the defender. Uh, the attacker will be the person who has a more maneuverable army and an army that can just immediately go and just threaten the objectives. And the defender will be the person with the more... Um, I guess stagnant army, the army that can't move around, uh, the all-infantry army sort of deal. Um, because if the all-infantry army goes forward, the maneuverable army just goes and grabs the objectives. And if the maneuverable army stays back, then nothing really happens. So they sort of fall into these different roles. And you can also see that happening on different fronts too. Because there are three of these objectives and they're all you know, they're all separated by 12 inches and they all kind of face each other across, across this 24 inch no man's land. Um, you can find like, all right, so I'm, I'm going to be defending objective, the left objective and the center objective. And then I'm going to make my push on the right to try and get their objective um, and, or some combination thereof. Mm -hmm. Just to bring up one thing. I remember Mick brought this up in the last episode or something. Uh, it basically, it talks about if you have siege weapons, uh, particularly a large one, you can go ahead and just carry it, you know, one movement up onto the objective and just totally lock it down. <laughs> that way you have to do, I mean, because if you destroy it, it still stays there. So they'd have to physically carry the object out of it. Um, so it takes a lot of turns to kind of, you know, 
deal with that. So, well, uh, could you, you carry it out if it if it's unreachable by that definition? Because all you have to do is be in base contact with it for a turn. I think we ruled that like it's just a heavy object, so even when destroyed, so therefore your your opponent could carry it away to to get it off of the objective. Or but it climb, takes them another turn to do yeah. it, or climb through it, depending on the. The, I was going to uh, say, climbing through it sounds... I mean, how, how do you carry something in, in which case if you're base contact, it immediately goes away? Uh, well, the, I'm sorry. You, well, you basically... It doesn't immediately... Like, you can still base contact a siege weapon. It's still there. Oh, you're saying it's getting base contact. Oh, okay. You're saying... Because okay. you, you, I'm talking about carrying it away, but you can't do that when your opponent... I don't think you can do that, actually. Was, wasn't there an FAQ on that about the siege weapon going poof once it's been destroyed? Yeah, you, if I, I don't think it goes poof. I think it yeah, stays there. It stays on the board. Yeah. It stays on the board. Like, there was an FAQ regarding this, but it it stays on the board, and so therefore it's now this big thing that's just there. Right, and you got so, to either push it out of the way or climb through it. or, yeah, it's, or it's just something. giving you extra time, which mm -hmm. by the time they've made it to your objective, time is going to be um, Outside of that, I mean... I, I mean... <clears throat> You you can use monsters in this and like big tough guys just to like if you need to stand on an objective, yeah. Just have them say, "Yeah, come at me, bro." Um, I usually talk siege weapons since they're already in the back anyway. Have to stay in the back, and then also they can't back away when losing a combat. Yeah, monsters can. So yeah, if you get a big enough base, even if they back away, you're still going to be standing on top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a good role for a. You know what this is actually a good role for? Gundabad trolls. The Gundabad catapult troll. Oh, so he just oh, goes yes. up. He stands on an objective and just, all right, I'm going to stand here and shoot. If anyone ever plays <laughs> yes. it, then if, if, so. if you so desire to take a catapult troll, then <laughs> this the is the main use. One of the worst monsters in the game. Yeah. <laughs> but Person he's goes, good at this. <laughs> Person's looking over the, um, the, the, the layout of a tournament goes, destroy the supplies. Here comes my troll catapult. Let's do this. <laughs> I think, you know, just to go off of what um, what's the, Evan said uh, about the who's playing the attack and defense, if you both have an infantry-based army, I think it, this is 24-inch deployment, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. No, it should be 12, 24, right? Yeah, well, uh, it's it's 24 it inches apart, 12 inches in. Yeah. You, you two are both referencing But the armies are actually 24 inches yeah. up, right? It, yeah. It, it, okay. It's like to the death. You yeah, start okay. 24 inches away. Oh, okay, okay, I got you, it. You so start then, in the okay. back 12 inches yeah. of the yeah, board. Yeah, back 12 okay, inches. Okay. So if you are both, yeah, infantry, then this, yeah, I mean, you're basically both going to be um, meeting in the center and, yeah. I mean. I mean, this is, also, combat around. this is also a viable scenario for, like, shooters who are like, yeah, I'm going to take all my shooters and my shooters are basically going to defend objectives. And if you want to get this objective, you have to come through, like, four turns of shooting. Oh, I think we're coming back to the uh, Rangers of Athelion list now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Rangers of Athelion will play this in a pretty defensive way. I don't think they'd go aggro until, like, they 50% their opponent and then start to try to... Well, I know, but I'm saying, like, they based on what Matt's saying... So, actually, based on that, let's let's theorize that. If you were to stay back on, like, let's say three inches maybe max from your deployment line and just shooting at your opponent, how many turns would you need to get to the enemy objective? You need three, right? Um, you if you march... So, if you stay 15 inches up... Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you have uh, six and 20, six. 21. Yeah, you need three. Yeah. Uh, assuming you don't march. So if you do march, you now get that. So if you have one heroic march plus two moves, you can get to the enemy objective. So just make sure you have enough time to do that. Because I think one big mistake will be to hang back, try to 50%, and then they look at the time, they're like, oh, an hour and 20 minutes have gone by. And now you're racing to get across the board in three turns because you don't have it. Well, if, um, you, were, if you were to march twice, though, you could get there yeah, assuming after you have the two march turns. Yeah. I mean, if you, you have the money. Yeah, yeah. I think... Rangers of Athelion playing this scenario would be like refighting a World War One miniatures game, <laughs> you know, where where somebody is you know charging charging across the uh, the the no man's land to get to the trenches slash objectives on uh, the other side of the board, and it's just how many of them will live to get there. There is an interesting suicide play if you can do it. If you are finding yourself dying, you could do this like absolute hail mary toward the objective and try to get yourself killed off <laughs> before the opponent can reach yours just get one yeah. objective and then get to 25 25 yeah there you go <laughs> just do one. although i think you still you still lose because you, oh, you broke you, you, broke. Yeah, you yeah. broke yeah yeah so you'd have two objectives which you need yeah so um so 
I think that's pretty much it for the scenario. So we're going to go into lists. We each have wrote, written a list um, at 800 points that we think would do well in this scenario. So I'm going to move it over to Matt first for his list. All right. So I did an 800-point Isengard list. Um, so my list has Saruman on horse uh, with one Crabane, uh, two Orc warriors with shield, five Orc uh, five Urukai warriors with pike, four Urukai warriors with crossbow, and one wild man of Dunland, because there's always one wild man in the bunch. Uh, next warband is, of course, Grima Wormtongue, and I bought him a horse, because he's going to have a special role in this scenario. That's uh, so dirty. Is that <laughs> so? <laughs> figure out what he could do. That's so gross. Uh, yeah, that is such a loophole. There's barely any way of dealing with him. What are you I, doing? Am, I am actually so upset that I didn't think of this. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. You got to cross your fingers and hope you have Sorcerer's Blast or some other way to magically kill him because uh, otherwise there's nothing you can do. That's so gross. Yeah. Um, uh, next warband is Verascu. Uh, and with him is another Kurbane, uh, two Orc Warriors with shield, four Urukai Warriors with pike, and four uh, Urukai Warriors with crossbow. Uh, Warband three is Ugluck, and with him are two Urk War Orc Warriors with shield, four Urukai Warriors with pike, four Urukai Warriors with crossbow. And the last Warband is Sharku, and uh, he has the shield, and with him are three warg riders with shield and throwing spear. So um, the way this army fights this scenario is I've got, I've got three warbands with Urukai in it and Urukai crossbows, and they basically are going to set up to guard each of the objectives with the crossbows in front. Saruman, of course, goes in the middle because he's got his 18-inch compel where he can dart, off, dart out and compel people across, uh, off the battlefield um, the crossbows basically sit just in front of the objectives. They'll maybe like move for the first turn and uh, they will either shoot people that are moving toward my own objective or shoot people off of the opposing objective, which ought to be in their range. Um, and then I've got a couple of crabanes that can uh, flap around and grab the odd objective. And then I've got uh, Sharku, who's basically got the mobile reserve that will probably deploy in the center and he can either reinforce one of, one of the side objectives or the other if it's threatened, or uh, if he has the opportunity, he and his work riders can go forward and uh, try and overwhelm one of the opponent's objectives. So I should have the ability with this list to cover all three of the objectives and simultaneously be threatening all three of the other objectives, one with Grima, um, who obviously can try and sneak in uh, wherever somebody leaves in the ability. This is definitely one where Grima deploys with the opponent's warband. Um, and uh, he's running around on his horse trying to sneak into one of the objectives. The Krabanes are doing the same thing. And Sharku's also trying to sneak in. So uh, uh, hopefully between all of those different avenues of attack and Saruman with his 18-inch compel trying to pull people away to open up a hole... I can get in on uh, some of these objectives. And I think I've got enough guys in each warband to basically keep my own objectives covered. Yeah, I think that's solid. That's, I mean. I think what, what would happen with Grima as well is that you'd, you'd have to put a minimum of three people on each objective to like put the, so like he couldn't walk into it, obviously, so that they'd have control zones over the objectives. And then, so you have, you're wasting not. Three. not I think you could cover it with two. Could you? Yeah, I'm trying to think if you space him just properly. Because, I mean, obviously, once Grima charges, he reveals himself. Yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's too... Yeah, and he, he can't charge and go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Grima, I think, just kind of lurks. And, and the, best way to, the best way to deal with Grima is if you can manage to get, like, three or four people around yeah. him so he can't get out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's one of the reasons I put him on the horse is... You know, hopefully you deploy him far enough away so they can't do that on the first turn, and then he moves out, and he's continually moving to threaten different objectives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if somebody wants to dedicate, like, three or four cavalry to um, blocking in Grima, um, you know, that's fine. And uh, maybe Saruman can get in range to compel one of the guys out so that Grima can sneak out, or maybe a, a crossbowman can... Yeah, you know, maybe a crossbowman can shoot one of those guys down or a Bane can come in and take one of those guys out. 
um, you never know. But he's he's just one more problem that the guys ha- the other guy has to deal with in order to keep his objective safe. And as long as he's dedicating guys to keeping Grima from getting the objective, they're not threatening me in any way. How big is your army? How many models? It is, I think, forty-two. Okay. So it's solid count. Yeah, forty-two. For, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it's for really good. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I think it's actually like a solid competitive list. I mean, the fact you threw in two Cree Bane, which I, I heard the first one, and then I was like, nope, where's the second one? You need two. Yeah, there's always be. two. Always <laughs> yep. two. Never I one, think, always two. I think Cree Bane have now become just a must-pick and nice and card. I mean, they're flying models, which means they're if they're like a flying warrior, they're almost always an auto-include if your list has them in it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if it's like a Cree a Bat Swarm, a War Bat. You're always probably taking at least two because the amount of stuff flying models can do is crazy. Especially seeing as aren't Kerbane twenty five points They're or something 20 ridiculous points. like that? They're twenty. Yeah. Oh, twenty. Jeez. They're twenty yeah. points. Okay. They are. They are such value add. I mean, they're they're incredible models. So I, I can, think they're a must pick. Every you time. can take two of these, yeah. and you're you're just five points more than one bat swarm. Yeah. So. They're just their value right. is incredible. No, they're, they're yeah, fifteen yeah. points less. No, 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 they're twenty points. So he's saying two of them is forty yeah. points, which oh, is five okay. points more than a basketball. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. Like they're they're such incredible value. I mean, any new player who sees their profile and you're like, all right, they just fly. What's the big deal? No, like <laughs> this is a scenario game, and <laughs> they, they even fly. That's it, the big deal. Yeah, even <laughs> even without scenarios, like just being able to add two dice into a hero's fight, you just fly around and be like, oh, there's an extra two dice of fight six or whatever. Fight the five. ability to go over lines, over terrain, and basically ignore everything is so yeah. impressive. And the, and the distance in which they move as well. Yeah, they have a gimmick special rule. Never think about that when dealing with these. Like, <laughs> so their ability to be like, yeah. oh. But. I mean, I think it's a viable alternative strategy with this, this two of just dropping... You could drop Sharku's Warband and take five more Cremains. Um it's just, yeah, the, you, you forego other scenarios doing it. Yeah, that. you you forego yeah. other scenarios yeah. doing it and um Shark Sharku gives you some actual hitting power where you can if you need to take an objective by force um yeah. if it's a little underprotected which the I mean their cabanes have a lot of wounds and they have a lot of ability but they're they're not great at kind of like bullying their way through serious opposition if there's a wall around an objective. Yeah. The worst thing about them is that they have that shooting rule where you can only hit them on sixes. So you yep. can't even shoot them either. <laughs> yep. That's what you do with bat swarms when they fly out and they're uh, going to grab an objective. If you have something like crossbows or elf bows, you wound them on fours and you take out like two or three wounds immediately. But you can't do that with these guys because you hit on sixes. So they're almost impossible to get rid of unless you've got like magic or something like that. Don't they have four wounds? They do. Three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Four wounds. Yeah. So even if you manage to hit one, it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, they literally they're, throw they're, them into a hurricane combat, and even though they're yeah. defense three, it's just like you. You could throw them into a hero in which you wanted to waste a turn, and they yeah. would still be fine. It would be fine. Yeah, yeah he's just yeah. sitting there trying to swat <laughs> birds away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually a real. They're really powerful models. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, if you want to turn the SBG game into a into a Hitchcock movie, they're a good way to do it. <laughs> you just you just you just run Saruman and like like twenty Kerbane. <laughs> I, I, I think the list is excellent. You have three ways, like the Kerbane, Grima, and Saruman of threatening mm-hmm. the objectives. It's a solid list that can play defense. I mean, it's it's actually a really well. There's also a Sharku too. Yeah, I was gonna say the and then there's Yeah, technically the Wargs who deep strike with the Wargs. Yeah. Oh, wait, deep strike. Uh, they don't. The, what do you, oh, you mean like? I, I mean, deploying them because they've got oh, ten, okay. yeah, they've got ten inches. I was like, did I miss an ambush rule there? No, no, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Matt makes up his own rules to benefit himself. Yeah, yeah. The watcher deep strikes, Dad. Yeah. That's when you deploy anywhere on yeah. the board. <laughs> Get your forty k terms right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, the game we've never played. <laughs> so, so now Matt has put everyone in the position of trying to outdo his list. <laughs> oh, I can outdo his easy, man. Okay. I think, whole list I think of my list town. might be able to. Done. <laughs> so I took Goblin Town. Goblin Town. Yeah, Goblin Town. <laughs> yeah. Damn, done. I didn't think of that. <laughs> 
this will be uh i'm telling you for every scenario you're gonna hear this for all viewers watching goblin town just wins all scenarios they're they're just putting in the comments stop mentioning goblin town (laughs) (laughs) um all right devin uh what was your scenario then or uh so i actually was gonna do a spider queen list but i decided to have some fun with it and uh i i saw you did a spider queen with googly eyes (laughs) (laughs) i you know i um so spider queens you already heard my whole rant on that and i but uh basically i saw will champions list and i just wanted to theorize it and it was will champion did an article which by the time of the posting of this video would be like weeks ago um but you know he did an article about war bats or gunda bats as now they should be named and i did many variations of this but there's one I really want to try, and I don't even know if it'll work. It'll probably get owned by Matt's list, but it's Bolg on a Felwarg, a captain, 20 Warbats, and two Berserkers, and a banner. And I only put <laughs> So here's my thing about 20 Warbats, all right? Just theorizing here. Now, I've played eight of them. In fact, I, I've brought them to multiple tournaments. Just out uh, of curiosity, who, play, who carries the banner? Is it, can a Berserker take a banner? Uh, no, no, it's just a good and bad warrior. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. yeah, yeah. But uh, once he dies, I'm going to give it to, like, you know, a Berserker or something. A Warbat. A Warbat, most likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, essentially, Warbats were interesting in the fact that, the, the, obviously, their large bases are a problem. Um, yes, they can kind of slam to one side. They can kind of completely envelop side and if you guys don't know um they're strength four and they basically get a lance bonus when they charge effectively it, it does not worded like that but that's effectively what it is um and then there are two wounds they fly around but they're fight three which is the crippling weakness of them and they're large bases but they can swarm to one side and the most important thing about them is that every model or what with when they fly over models, they can choose one of them and roll a dice. And on a four up, they knock the model prone. Now it's also true that on a foot four in, I'm sorry, foot, or man foot, size foot models. model. Yeah, yeah. They so can't I'm, do it to cavalry. They cannot do it to cavalry. So um, what I'm hoping to do is hope that no one has cavalry here, and I can just even if I only have like a portion of my warbats hitting an opponent, I can still bring the other ones and just fly them in and back and knock down whatever is charging me. <laughs> and they also cause a strength four hit if I happen to get a four up on the second roll. But look, do I think this list is competitive? No, I actually had another variant where I had Bolg, eight Warbats, and then Durbert, Struzhag, and a Goblin Shaman. And then, but it had 38 models, and most of them were Goblins. And I'm like, eh, this is probably not really going to work. So I just, um, uh, there is a variant of it where it has 42 models. I played around with it. That would probably be the more competitive list if I had like 42 Goblins. Durbert's Druzhag and this, but I'm holding solid. 20 Warbats, Bolg, Gundabad Captain, and a Banner. And two Berserkers. <laughs> and I have um, no idea how well it'll do. <laughs> so, I, I mean, one, one strategy you can use with you. So remember, when you knock over a guy, he loses his control zone. So you actually have the ability with, you know, if you send in like a squadron of warbats against one of these uh, objectives. objectives is depending on how the guy deploys, unless he's like, you know, re- you know, really got a tight ring around that objective. Hmm. Um, you can send over a warbat, knock over like one guy to the right, send in another warbat, knock over one guy to the left. And now there's no zones of control anymore. And you can probably send in like the third warbat and get into contact with the objective without fighting anybody. Yep. And take the objective. And without. I always dictate it. Cause it moves so fast. I was going <laughs> to so. say like you, you, you can easily move and go catch up with other people because of how quickly you move. Yeah, I mean, Bolg will be kind of by himself with three points of might, but he's got master battle. And then you have the captain whom will do captain things. Um, but outside of that, I'd probably save his might for like rook moves. Like I said, this is one of those theoretical lists where if the knockdowns go very well, then I can knock down almost everything actually threatening my warbats. Now, obviously in this case, I would really want something that could knock down like enemy cavalry. Like clearly if someone has three heroes that are like big heroes, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. Like they'll just probably tear through these things, but you know, it's a really fun list. I know this is a competitive podcast, but occasionally we've got to mix it up. One day, though, I'll come up with a competitive Bat Swarm list. The only one that I could think of was that Moria version of it. Um, 
but I'll probably have to make some other variants. I'm sure there's a bunch, but war bats are surprisingly powerful. In fact, I, I remember Matt, you, you came down and uh, you were doubting war bats until I, I only had three of them in the list, but you were like, okay, these are actually, I think, I think that was your consensus at the end of it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I gotta say, I've never been able to get these guys to work. I don't think I've ever knocked down a guy with a war bat, but, um, uh, but you know, I've never tried, 20 of them. <laughs> I think even I could roll a four up on eventually on one of those. So traditionally I would never recommend this many. Traditionally I would say probably three to five of these things. I mean, I really like them. They're very powerful. Um, I, the most I've ever run was eight and I did it in a doubles match where uh, I had eight uh, with Bolg and then my ally had eight spiders with the undying and then we had like six goblins and it was a doubles match. And we actually won the Articon doubles with it, where these bats and eight spiders were like <laughs> kind of crushing around. It was, it was fun. And of course, the Undying had double hurls and all that, so it was a different day. But, but it, it, I mean, I don't know. Like I've found war bats to just be incredible models every time I've played them. I've always liked them. So. Yeah, I guess you, the, the one thing you don't want to run into is like Rivendell Knights. Uh, yeah, I mean, any <laughs> <That's> cavalry or <laughs> cavalry yeah, with you, bows would kind of ruin your whole day. <laughs> Oh yeah, this list is one of those like high variance lists where you like you're re- either really good against something or you're really bad against it. And to be honest, you're probably going to be more really bad than good in this type of list. This is not a competitive list, but I wanted to brainstorm the twenty Gundabats, and I'm like kind of wanting to play it one day to see how effective this is. But oh, by the way, in most cases, I would never recommend spamming anything. But when you have certain profiles, I think certain elite models could be spammed. So when you're talking about like half trolls or these or like, you know, there are certain models, I think, that even at high points, they can be spammed out. You can possibly make it work. And by spamming, you can probably make spamming goblins work, too. Yeah, I was about to say, by not recommending spamming anything, he means (laughs) very elite, like, niche sort of models. Yeah, yeah, elite niche. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, it's very easy to win this scenario. You just bring goblins out and then you've... You're pretty fine. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, Evan, what was your list? Um, so I created two lists, one of which is actually kind of similar to Devin and my father's, uh, but it does have the Spider Queen. But seeing as we've already talked about the Spider Queen in great depth, uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about a list that is not very good in this scenario. And the reason I'm going to talk about it is because we probably want to just go over how a list such as Erebor Reclaimed, which is what my list is, deals with this heavy movement scenario. So what I've got is I just brought the most stock standard of stock standard Erebor Reclaimed lists. You've got uh, Thorin on Goat. Uh, I didn't give a Morkrist. Uh, I guess you could. I've never done it before. Um, Dane on Boar, and then um, Biffer, and then in their warbands, they've got a grand total of 37 models, so there's 34 uh, Iron Hills guys, uh, there are two Goat Riders, six Crossbowmen, and then a mixture of Spear Shields and Shields uh, in order to uh, just fully make up the points. And that's basically my list. It's very standard. It's something that, uh, I mean, obviously you'd say, well, this list would probably be much better in a scenario like To the Death or Lords of Battle. But I decided because this is a popular list for people to run, let's let's go over how we're going to win this type of scenario with this list. Now, Now, a full disclaimer, this is not going to be uh, this is not going to be easy to win a scenario with this list. It's it's going to be rather challenging. And while I'd say this is probably the best dwarf list to take in this scenario because it's got cavalry, uh, against something like Dad's list or even Devin's list, um, it's probably not going to go well. So what you're going to want to do with this list is, well two things really you're probably not going to be playing aggressive unless somebody brought like hobbits or something like that you're probably not going to be going on the aggressive you're probably either going to be spreading out spreading out your heroes and then uh 
trying to cover the three objectives, or if you're really outmaneuvered or uh, outnumbered, then go for the uh, strategy of protecting two objectives and sacrificing one. Forgot to mention in this list, there is a banner in there. So, so if your opponent doesn't have a banner, I was just going to ask about that. Yep. Yeah, you're uh, you're you're on the winning end, and then you've got your two goat riders and some uh, some the, the uh, mounted heroes as well with Dane and Thorin, and you can use those. Maybe if your opponent just throws his entire army forward, use those to flank around and try and go for the back objectives. Um, Overall, it's going to be the defending type of list in this particular scenario. It's going to be sitting back and waiting for the opponent to come to them. And honestly, if the opponent chooses not to come to them and they just resign to a draw, I think you're perfectly happy with that because winning the scenario is tough. (laughs) There you go. Never be afraid to draw in tournaments. (laughs) You know what I was actually toying around with? uh, (coughs) I was toying around with uh, an airport reclaim list list that had the champion's chariot and then just like 300 points of dwarves and the 300 points of dwarves <laughs> the 300 points of dwarves stand on your own objectives and then the champion's chariot just kind of starts mowing down objectives <laughs> because if it manages to like if it charges in and then kills everybody that it contacts mm. and ends up on the objective it can then destroy the objective yeah so <laughs> yeah. you know so that's a that's actually a viable strategy you need like a full army to take that Thing down, thing down. yeah exactly and <laughs> yeah. especially if it's like a, a if you have to split your army like three different ways in order because you don't know which one the the chariot's gonna go after it's like all right i'll, I'll go after this one first <laughs> you know? but now it, if you if you so desire to um convert up a champions of Erebor chariot and take a list like that then be my guest um but, <laughs> i don't have to convert uh, one up i've got one in the closet you I'm talking <laughs> to literally everybody else who does not have a champion's I think, chariot. I think it's just you and Damien O'Byrne are the only ones I've seen with a champion's chariot. <laughs> um, obviously, one big glaring weakness of our list is, um, well, the champion's thing, but the mine is uh, woods because I have flying models. I have to walk in it. Um, oh, yeah, that's a problem. But I still keep my lance bonuses while walking through the woods. So, But that is something I'd have to keep note of. So I'd probably ignore whatever objective is in the woods. I'd be like, all right. I would love to see that in the in the movies. You just see Kervain just get on their feet and start like popping <laughs> <Start> around. <laughs> um, okay. Um, let us know in the comments section below what do you think of our lists and what you think of the scenario and what list you would take in this scenario. Uh, let us know in the comments section below as well if there's anything you'd like us to go over in future episodes. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Yeah.